Hey everyone, it's Fairly Spiritual. I'm Doug Bursch. You ever see those old comics that have the 98-pound weakling, that little guy, and he gets bullied and goes and works out a bunch and comes back all strong and gets his girlfriend back? Yeah, I haven't seen those either. But if you had seen them, you might have been taught, hey, you know, the reason you're not doing well is you're not strong enough. Maybe you feel that way in life, that you need to be stronger to do well. Well, on today's show, we're going to challenge that myth, because I'm going to bring you my favorite verse, God's strength and our weakness on Fairly Spiritual. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken by your word, your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my only one, you're the only one worth living for, so I'm dreams with you. Well, welcome to Fairly Spiritual. I am Doug Bursch, your host. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk about God's strength and our weakness. I'm going to share one of my favorite verses, uh, a life verse. Can we have those? Can we have favorite verses? I think we can. I'm not trying to say the other verses are bad. I just get a favorite verse. I'm going to challenge that idea that we have to be stronger in order for God to be strong in our life. But before we do that, uh, I'm going to start a new segment here. Uh, I think it's, I'm going to call it Fairly uh, Spiritual News. We'll see how that goes. Maybe eventually I'll have some uh, jingle that goes with it. Maybe a jingle. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see how lazy I am. I used to do a radio show where the first few segments of my radio show, or often many segments, were just news. Don't worry. I'm not going to get too political. Or maybe I am. I don't know. I can't promise anything. But we'll do some fairly spiritual news, which reminds me, uh, at the beginning of this show, I used the reference of the 98-pound weakling. Was it 98 or 99? I don't know. I'm usually one number off. But as I was using that cultural reference, I was nervous. I was like, am I getting too old? Uh, Are you in that stage where you're in a room and you give a cultural reference and only one-third of the group laughs or one-fourth of the group laughs? You realize... Either how young the people are that you run with or, or how old the people are you run with. But uh, I, I think some of the people younger than me are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But anyway, 98-pound weakling. I don't even think those are out there anymore. But as a kid, those were in comic books. Uh, I didn't read many comic books. I, I, I think they still make those. I still don't read them. Now every comic book has been turned into a, a movie. But yes... There used to be comics that had a 98-pound weakling, and then he'd get bullied, and he'd get muscles, and then he'd get the girl back. Because that's what they taught us when we were kids. They didn't teach us that you shouldn't you know, participate in bullying. They just taught us that you need to be a bigger bully. But it reminds me of another cultural reference that I saw uh, today, uh, actually not today, earlier this week, that Paul Simon uh, is doing his farewell tour. And the way it was announced, it was like, you know, whenever you see anything trending on Twitter, your first fear, especially with a male, 
is that there's some really terrible news about that person. First, that they did something really inappropriate. Second, that they've died. In fact, uh, for Twitter, they should just have a section of good Twitter and bad Twitter, where you know if someone's name is trending in that section, it's all positive. If their name is trending in the other section, not so good. Because there's that moment, right, where you're like, oh, please tell me they're not dead, or please tell me... You know what I'm saying, right? If you see Mr. Rogers trending, you're like, oh, please, please tell me that this is only good news, right? So I saw that Paul Simon is trending, and then there was this uh, moment on Twitter where it says that he is doing his farewell tour. And the way it was stated, it was almost like he's going to go on a tour, and then they're just going to put him on a rock or an island and just let him die or something. But Again, I, I tweeted on that, and someone was like, who's Paul Simon? I don't know who that is. And I was like, ha, ha, you're really funny. I'm not that old. Clearly, Paul Simon, my kids know uh, who he is because he's a legend and also because I, I probably play the only living boy in New York far too much. Uh, other news that's out there, uh, they're going to have another Star Wars. By the way, this is the really important news, right? I'm going to avoid the news that makes you feel sad. I might, might get into that a little bit, but uh, they're going to have another Star Wars trilogy uh, they announced uh, that from the creators of um, Game of Thrones. I don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't have HBO. I also don't. You know what's happening on pay TV. I don't. I don't want to make you feel guilty and judged. But what's happened in those pay channels is they just put all kinds of sex and gratuitous violence and gratuitous sex, and it's just I I, I just can't justify that. I, I understand the concept that you you have to weed through stuff. I'm not a Puritan. You, you go to movies and you're like, uh, here's that scene. we got to find a way through it. I mean, you either just don't watch anything or you watch very little of anything. But I, I just, no, I just can't do it. And, and frankly, I think that, that uh, it's still exploitive. It's still in order to be on a hit television show uh, on HBO or any of those pay channels, women have to present themselves in a way that's exploitive. And people could say, oh, that's liberating, but it's kind of amazing how liberating happens to be also a way that men exploit women. So it's just kind of ironic, isn't it, that in order for a woman to succeed in uh, the television or movie industry, they often have to do things that men would never have to do. So anyway, uh, I'm really hoping that there's some editorial control when it comes to these three Star Wars films, that they don't go that route when it comes to um, Game of Thrones creators creating a trilogy. But you know this is going to happen regardless. Every time a new Star Wars film comes out, it makes a couple billion dollars um, <clears throat> with merchandising. It, it just makes billions of dollars. And just be ready for this. Everything you love will eventually be destroyed. It's going to be destroyed. The only way we can keep it from not being destroyed is if the next movie, even if it's a really good movie, like, and I like the last Star Wars movie. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a purist. Like people are like, oh, they ruined the franchise. I mean, come on. We had bears called Ewoks. It was, it was never this pure thing. It was always this silly kind of cowboy movie in space. Sorry, it was just you can't. Did you see the acting in the first Star Wars film? I mean, the actual first one did you see how powerful the acting of luke was as he whined his way through that movie it was never a tremendous movie right so i mean it was tremendous and it was fun but it, it, you know it wasn't high art uh, but what's going to happen is they'll ruin the franchise as long as they keep making billions of dollars so the next film the next good film we just all have to say don't see it 
Because if you don't see it, they won't make another one, and then they won't ruin the franchise, right? But if we keep seeing it, you know what will happen. They'll just keep making movies until they're really, really bad. But you know as well as I do, we'll, we'll still probably see them. We'll, we'll see those movies until they're just terrible. I just, I just know, you know that, right? Because Disney owns it now. I'm going to be on my deathbed and I'll be like, uh, Grandpa, you, you, you need to live. They got another Star Wars coming out. And, you know, in this one, he's, you know, they're teaming up with the Avengers. And it'll just be like, it's time for me to go. So, and then I'll be, listen, and here's my last words. Make sure that no one gets my Twitter account. So anyway, uh, other news that's going on, the Super Bowl. I was not going to watch the Super Bowl because, uh, sorry, Patriot fans, but I don't like the Patriots. I just don't. Rooting for the Patriots is like rooting for gravity. It's like rooting for the inevitable. And uh, I didn't know much about the Eagles, and I just didn't want to watch the Patriots win. And so my wife invited some people over, assuming that I would want that to happen. I mean, I was like, yeah, fine, I guess I'll watch it. And, you know, it's like four hours, and... So I can watch the commercials later if I want. And But I sat down, I watched the game, and it was a really enjoyable game. And all the way through the game, I'm, I'm a Seattle person. In general, Seattle people, even though we had the Seahawks win the Super Bowl, Seattle people are, we are geared for disappointment. I mean, I'm a Seattle Mariners fan. We're used to disappointment. So I'm just assuming this thing's going to end with the Patriots winning at the end. And so... Anyway, miracles of miracles, uh, the Patriots lost, and so I can celebrate that. If you're a Patriots fan, come on, you got, what, like five Super Bowls in two years? You're good. You're good. Okay, let me have this one, all right? If you're offended at me, like, I will never listen to that show again. How? To, hey, you've, you've, you've won. You're good, all right? I also found out that GOAT, they kept calling uh, the quarterback of the Patriots uh, the GOAT. I thought that was a negative thing, and so I always felt kind of good about that. Like, yeah, he kind of is a GOAT. Uh, but I found out that the GOAT is like the greatest of all time. And so I just found that out this Sunday. So that makes me feel a little conflicted. I thought they were comparing Brady to a bar, barn animal. That's kind of annoying. I thought, yeah, you know, he's a little annoying. I mean, he's a good quarterback, a little annoying, a little smirky. But now I realize he's the greatest of all time quarterbacks, which you know, he might be as well. So anyway, uh, enough of that. One other thing, just a little pet peeve as we transition into things here. Um, seeing commercials that apportion uh, famous icons or apportion tragedies, I just can't stand it. Uh, you know, Apple started with this. Apple had that ad, ad campaign where they took Einstein and Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King and they showed all these famous pictures. And then at the end, they said, think different. And they did that to sell you a computer. And people are like, yeah, that's great. That's fine. Take people who did amazing things and sell me a product. Whenever an ad campaign does that, an ad company does that, I get annoyed. When you take someone's life, when someone has an amazing life work, whatever that is, where their life was dealing with injustice, when they were martyred for their life work, and then you use their life work to sell a product, that to me is offensive. And so uh, probably the highlight of offensive commercials was I think Ram Truck used a speech of Martin Luther King Jr. to sell trucks. Now, I assume they had to have permission from the Martin Luther King estate to do that, so I'm sure they gave money and something maybe good happened out of that. But the reality is that just fell flat for me. I do not believe that Martin Luther King Jr. was martyred so that people could sell Ram trucks. I just don't. And, and the other one, and I'm just going to throw that out, and I know I just sound like the most grumpy man, 
you know, the grumpiest man in the world. But uh, whenever companies try to tout their benevolence, you know, when Budweiser tells you how much water they sent to refugees or, or to people in a crisis when there was a hurricane and, you know, pat themselves on the back, it's just... It just feels to me like someone is using someone else's tragedy in order to make some money because they know that those commercials, the tearjerkers, actually sell just as much product as selling product. It's just just going to throw that out there. They're cynical Doug. So whenever you see a commercial like that, just know, just think that I'm holding my tongue until I do a podcast. So on today's show, I want to talk about strength in weakness. And uh, it reminds me of, uh, I was in a pastor group and a pastor was once waxing eloquently about all the important things we're supposed to do. He was just going on and on about a pastor needs to do this, a pastor needs to do that. And he was really knocking it out of the park. You know, just, we need to preach the gospel this way and we need to do it this way. And just, you know, saying a lot of right things, like just things that sounded really true and strong and right. And other pastors were kind of like, hey man, you're right. You know, we need to stand for the gospel and we need to say it right. We need to not weaken things down and none of this weak, wimpy stuff. And he was going on and on and he stopped. And another pastor in the group, who's also was a friend of that other pastor, I'm keeping everybody's names confidential here. He, he just kind of looked over and said, I don't mean to be offensive, but I think maybe you think too much of yourself. <laughs> and there was kind of this like, oh, what did he just say? It was like, I, I think you think too much of yourself. Or maybe we all think too much of ourselves. And then he went on and said, you know, this has got to be bigger than us. This can't be about, you know, how well we carefully speak the gospel, how well we do everything in order for people to have a relationship with Jesus. It has to be bigger than us. It can't be just how clever and wise and strong we are. The gospel has to be bigger than us. And I want to talk about this today, that so much of our culture talks about, you know, self-improvement and being stronger and being wiser and leadership development and being, being a better person, that often we make too much about our strengths and not enough about God's strength and our weakness. So I just want to spend some time encouraging you, if you're struggling in your weakness, that the gospel message really is about God being strong, where we are tremendously weak. Now, to do that, I want to share a, a theme verse for me. This, this is uh, it's a theme verse. It's from 2 Corinthians 12. And as you know, the Corinthians gave Paul a tough time. And he had people challenging his authority as an apostle, this other group called super apostles who were arguing against him and his authority. And often they would come in and teach things after he left a community saying you need to be circumcised, you need to follow certain religious rules and calendar issues, the Jewish calendar. And so Paul's constantly having to show his credentials, show why they should follow him uh, or listen to him or not abandon what he had taught them and follow these other apostles. And this is within a larger context where he's just, you know, dealing with a very ungrateful community and talking about what is central and important and what is secondary in this, this battle of leaders. And in this context, in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, this scripture comes up. And he says before this, he goes, you know, I, I, I went, I died, and I, 
One, he talks about all the persecutions he faced. I was beaten to death and stoned and dragged out of the city and all, all these persecutions. He goes, if you, these other guys think they, they did great stuff, I'll tell you. I, I'll, I'll show you my resume. I've had about everything happen to me that could happen to someone. Even I died or I don't know if I died or whatever happened, but I went up into heaven and saw things that I can't even speak about. Uh, and, and, you know, he probably almost died or did die one of those times they got stoned and dragged out of the city. So he said, I've had everything happen to me. I've done everything to follow God. I mean, I, my resume is there. If we want to do things about my strength, I've got a pretty strong resume. But let me tell you, it's not about my strength. So he writes this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, and he talks about these revelations that he'd received from God and even dying and going to heaven and, and these wonderful revelations. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. I think I know why this is a theme verse for me. Conceited is mentioned twice there, and that, that might be an issue. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is a theme verse for me. I found this verse, uh, it became powerful to me or alive to me when I got really sick when I was a kid. In ninth grade, I got extremely sick. Now, you say ninth grade, that's, you know, what is that? It's just some teenager. But you know how this is. There's decades of your life you don't even remember, right? I don't even remember my 20s. But I can remember uh, years of junior high or of high school, right? You can just, some things are so vivid. And when I was a ninth grader, I got really sick. I missed, um, I don't know, something like 90 days of school. Actually, I missed more than 90 days of school. I was in the hospital like 90 days, off and on. I missed like 150 days of school. I just kept getting sick kept going to the hospital. I was on breathing treatments, those nebulizers, four times a day. Kept getting bronchitis and pneumonia, sinus infection, just constantly getting sick, constantly on medicine, doctors not being able to figure out what was wrong with me. During that time, I had it where I was the captain of the football, basketball, and baseball team. And by the way, that's not that we had good teams. We, uh, we had losing records. But I was a, a good player, right? I, I, I played the game hard. I was the kind of person who, you know, I, I wanted to win and I wanted to be out there playing. And I was a good Christian kid. I loved Jesus. I can't remember a time in my life where I haven't loved Jesus. I've always followed him and, and loved him and seen that witness in my, my family and just said, why not? Jesus is real. He's alive. I love grace, I love goodness, I love kindness, I love Jesus. And so I, I saw my life as an extension of that. Here I am, you know, doing well in sports, doing well in school. I was the vice president of the school in case, I guess, something terrible happened to the president. I mean, that's the easiest job, right? And so uh, things were going well. And then I got really sick. And because I got sick, I couldn't play any of the sports and I 
couldn't go to school very often, and everything was taken away from me. And I got to the point where I was on breathing treatments all the time, and things got really bad. And, and I got to the point where my present was pretty bleak, and my future seemed even bleaker. And I remember getting pretty depressed about the present and the future. And, and this is when this scripture came to me. Where the Lord came to me through this scripture and said, I will be strong where you're weak. My power will be made perfect in your weakness. <clears throat> now, I prayed that God would remove that sickness. And I believe I have a God who can remove sickness. Now, I would never tell someone, you know, God's making you sick. And, but this is my story, so I can tell my story, right? From my story, God did not remove that sickness. So I was stuck being sick. I was stuck being weak. And in that weakness, I prayed many times, Lord, remove that from me. And as Paul says, and I think Paul's weakness might have been, uh, you know, an eye problem. It, it, people don't really know. And I think there's a good reason we don't know, because we'd probably make a weird theology out of it. But he saw it as a messenger from Satan, and he had the right to pray that it be removed. And I prayed that my weakness would be removed. But it wasn't. And instead, God came to me and said, Doug, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And at that time, I remember being in a place where pretty much I realized everyone had kind of forgotten about me. And even my parents who loved me, they couldn't be there all the time. I, my brothers and sisters couldn't be there all the time, that I was alone. And I remember even at two in the morning, being alone up in a lazy boy chair and praying, God, if you're real, show your presence to me. And I remember the peace of God resting upon me like a blanket. And I knew that I would never be alone and I didn't have to be afraid. And I knew that God is strong at my weakest. I met God like Jonah did in the belly of the great big fish. I met God in my place of despair. I met him in the pit. It wasn't meeting him on the mountaintop. It wasn't meeting him after I won the Super Bowl game. It wasn't meeting him after, you know, I had done the great big thing and won, you know, the marathon and run the race. It was in my place where I was forgotten and forsaken and sick and weak and vulnerable that I felt his strength and his power and I felt his leading. I learned that he could be strong where I am weak. And from that place, I begin to live my life and one of the things I felt early on in life, I think it was around even sixth grade, even before this, is I felt a calling to ministry. Uh, I didn't know whether it was to be a, a changer as a Christian lawyer, a Christian doctor, or a businessman, but I, I knew I was supposed to live my life to advance the purposes of the kingdom of God. But I had another problem is that I was terrified to speak in front of groups. I was terrified to talk to other people. I mean, I could joke in class and I could be personable one-on-one, -on -one, but I had this huge performance anxiety in front of people. It was pretty bad, and some people don't even believe this. They're like, yeah, sure, you say this, Doug. You've, I, I, I've done a radio show where I spoke you know, to anywhere from two to 6,000 people on a daily basis, but I had such a problem speaking in front of people, it expressed itself in so many negative ways. Every piano recital was a disaster where my hands would shake, and I remember having to stop midway, breaking down into tears, having to go and get my book because I couldn't remember the piece that I was supposed to memorize and making my way through it. And 
coming home crying because I had failed at the piano recital or doing a violin recital where the bow was shaking so much that uh, it ruined our performance and we got a very low grade in our duet that was supposed to go well. I remember having to memorize a piece in fourth grade. It was just a an introduction to a class song, and I was supposed to say just a few words, and in the introduction, I stopped halfway and couldn't remember the introduction, and the teacher had to give me word for word of what to say next, and the entire auditorium looking at me as there's tears in my eyes as I cannot finish the simple phrase that I'm supposed to memorize to introduce a very silly song for our fourth grade class to sing. These were all great failures. I made it all the way into college where even when we would do presentations like in our Spanish class and you're supposed to do some two-minute presentation, I would shake so strongly in the class that I could see people looking at my hands instead of listening to what I was saying. And I remember arguing with God, I would like to preach. I would like to teach. I have something to say, but why would you put that in my heart yet I can't stand in front of people? And I remember being near the Fremont Bridge in downtown Seattle late for a class at the University of Washington as I was getting my history major. And I remember arguing with the Lord, saying, why would you put this desire to speak to people in my heart, and yet I can't speak in front of people? And I felt like the Lord brought me through this conversation, this conversation in my head. It was, can you speak one-on-one with someone? I was like, yeah, I can speak one-on-one. Can you speak one-on-two in a conversation, just in a group? Yes. Can you speak one-on-three? Like just, you know, a conversation, sitting around, talking around the fire? Yeah, I can do that. Well, I want you to do that with one and a hundred and one and a thousand and one and ten thousand. And so I use that as a faith step to move forward and to go to seminary. And so in seminary, while everyone else wrote out these long sermons with all their transitions and all their points, I would stand in front of the preaching class with just three words on a piece of paper, and I would begin to just talk as I'm talking to you right now. And I'd have a conversation because I couldn't memorize things, because I got too nervous when I tried to read from a piece of paper or to try to memorize my transitions. I'm dyslexic. I've talked about that in other shows. And that dyslexia has influenced my ability to memorize things and many other issues when it comes to performing or speaking in front of people. But the Lord told me, Doug, I will be strong where you are weak. My first hospital visit, I was so terrified to go into the room. And I, I've told this in other settings, but I remember just terrified. And I, and I go, this was when we were in seminary, first hospital visit. We're just trying to try out, you know, do hospital visits in seminary. I go into the room and I, I come in really loud and I say, so what seems to be the problem? And I immediately wake up the man in the bed and his wife kind of startled. This elderly lady looks up as she's doing some sort of, it was kind of knitting or cross-stitch. I can't even remember. I just know she was doing something in the corning, in the corner, and she looks up. And I, I look, and I say, well, we'll pray that you'll be up on your feet in no time. That's the first thing I say as I walk into the room. Without, you know, introductions, without what's going on, without who are you, and The man's wife looks over at me very politely, and she whispers, he just had his foot amputated. (laughs) I just said, we'll we'll pray and you'll be up on your feet in no time. And she just informs me that he only has one foot. 
immediately I'm full of terror as I've made a terrible blunder and I go to the bed and I I say, can I pray for you? Because again, I don't even want to have a conversation because I don't know how to have a conversation. And I've already said this man with one foot is going to be on his feet. And I'm just like, okay, I'll pray for you. And, and they're polite. I, I bet you they laugh about this or, or probably now they're in heaven, but they must have laughed about it until they reached heaven. But I, I, I put my hand on his head and I begin to pray. And when you're nervous, sometimes you pray in cliches. Do you know cliche prayers? And one of the cliche prayers that I have is that, Lord, would you bless this person? <laughs> I'm sorry. Would you bless this person from the top of their head to the soles of their feet? <laughs> so, yeah, literally, this is what, I'm not making it up. I literally go, Lord, would you bless this man? Because again, I don't even know his name because I didn't take time to ask his name. I'm like, Lord, would you bless this man from the top of his head? <laughs> and I pause because what am I going to say? I can't say the sole of his feet. He's got one foot. I can't say to the sole of his foot. So I go, Lord, would you bless this man? And I pause and it felt like an eternity to me. And it's probably only a few seconds. I go, Lord, would you bless this man from the top of his head to all over his body? And then I said, amen. And I know I'm embarrassed about this. It's not right. But I literally just walked out of the room, didn't even say anything to anyone else, didn't talk to any of the people that I came to the hospital with to do the hospital visitations. I went down to my car, got in the car, and just headed home. On the ride home, I was like, what am I doing? I can't be a pastor. I'm a failure. I can't even do a hospital visit. I can't, I can't do any of this. What was I thinking? Doug, you are too weak to do anything. And I'm beating myself up on the way home, talking about how stupid I am. And I'm in Springfield, Missouri, going to the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. And in Springfield, Missouri, there's a traffic light at least every five feet. Here I am in Springfield, Missouri, going 10 feet, traffic light, 10 feet, traffic light, beating myself up with, I can't believe I said that on, on your feet. What am I doing? The guy in one foot, what am I? I'm just, you, you, Doug, you're so stupid. What is wrong with you? And then I felt like, again, because I do believe that God speaks and God speaks through our mind and God brings us other thoughts and better thoughts. And I do believe we are led by the Holy Spirit. I had this thought come to my mind. What would you have done, Doug, if the meeting had gone really well? What would you have done if you had prayed for this man and suddenly his leg had grown back? Would you have said, wow, you're amazing, Doug. You're this amazing person. Look how great you are. You're in, man, you are some kind of prayer. Boy, the world really needs you. You need to fast track this education because look out world, they need Doug Bursch as a pastor. And then it was so clear. It's not about you. Be a vessel. Let me be strong where you're weak. It's not about you, Doug. Just be faithful. Go into the room. Do your best. Let the kingdom of God advance through you. You'll get better. You'll figure it out. It's not about you. I have story after story after story of God being strong where I was weak. You know, I I started, I restarted a church of 12 people, and it was a pretty dysfunctional church. I could go into hours of stories, but it was very dysfunctional, and we tried really hard to start growing the church, and just nothing seemed to be working, and it was just 
struggle. And then one night, God gave me a dream. He showed me the building that we're in right now. I've never had a dream like this. And he showed me the building where he showed me it. Even telling this, people might be, well, you're a weirdo. I don't believe you now, Doug. I'm sorry. God showed me this dream. This is just my story. You can believe me or not. But I literally saw this building. It opened up. It was in a different city. I saw the building and the Lord said, it's open. I woke up at two in the morning, just sat up in my bed, woke up just like that, just like out of, like a movie, just woke up like, like that, two in the morning, sitting up in my bed. I called that church. I found out, you know, got a phone number, called, left a message. I didn't say like, I had a dream about you. Just left a message like, hey, I noticed you're a church in Auburn. That was the city. And like, I'd just like to talk with you. I'm a pastor in Maple Valley and just... You know, just wanted to talk with you about things and nothing about anything. And we're a church plant in Maple Valley that is just struggling to survive. And the pastor calls me back and says, we were wondering if you'd like to rent our building on Sunday mornings. Now, as a church planner, you don't ever get a building, a church building on Sunday mornings. I knew that was confirmation that we were supposed to move our church to that building for Sunday mornings. The first Sunday morning, we had 150 people show up. Our church was running at that time like 40 people when we moved there. 151 people showed up. It's like 50 people gave their life to Christ. It was amazing. And why do I tell that story? Because it had nothing to do with my strength. I was as weak as I'd ever been. I was a failure as a pastor. And God showed his strength in our weakness. I want to give you one other story. I had a desire to do Christian radio. I was watching Christian television. I don't watch Christian television, but it was one of those days where you go to the dials that you never, you know, you go to the channels that you never watch, right? And I was looking at all the Christian television, and it was just terrible. Like, each channel was trying to sell something. It was just terrible. It was terrible stuff. And I was going to each one and going, this is just terrible. How did this happen? How did this become the representation of the kingdom of God? How did these programs become Christianity? And I remember just thinking, I don't, I, I'm tired of sitting around and complaining. I don't want to just complain about Christian media. I want to do something because I think that's terrible. I think the worst thing you could do with your life is just sit around and complain about things. I don't think we're created to sit around and complain about things. I think we're created to advance things. We're called to advance the kingdom of God. And for anything I'm complaining about, I better be advancing a better alternative. Even as Jesus was tearing down structures, he was advancing another structure. He was forming a small group as he was, you know, basically interrupting and disrupting other groups. But I remember being like, I I just, you know what? I'm going to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm just not going to bow down. And... I believe the Lord will rescue me, but even if he doesn't, I can stand before him and say, I'm just not going to bow down anymore to this. But I pastor this little church of 100 people. We can't start a media ministry. We don't have any ability to do that. And the problem with these media ministries is they, in order to survive, they're always asking for your money. By the way, buy my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church, available on Amazon. But they're always asking for money, right? So so what do you do? 
And I remember just praying, like, Lord, you're going to have to make a way. We're too weak. We're not a mega church. We're not. I used to think, well, I'll be a mega church and we'll, do, we'll get to a bigger size and then we can do those things. And I just felt like the Lord said again, like, no, just go do what I've called you to do. And I'm like, I can't do it, Lord. We don't have the strength. Well, the Lord made a way. I started this tiny little show on Saturday mornings in, the, in a time slot where I paid a couple hundred dollars to be on the air and no one listened, and a few people helped me be on the air. And then I asked a guest speak on a 4 to 6 p.m. time slot, their drive time slot, where they paid for someone to be on the air. And for some reason, they liked me, and when they decided to put a new person in that position, they offered me the job without competing against anyone else. I was put into a position where they paid me to be their drive time host, without any comp competition, with no radio background, with no radio school. And suddenly I am the 4 to 6 p.m. drive time host on the Christian radio station, the Seattle market. I was weak and God was strong. Now, that's not the end of that story. And this is where I want to bring us right up to date. I did that show for five years. I did 1,200 shows at least. I was a part of Salem Communications. Salem Communications owns a radio uh, a station, or actually probably four or five radio stations, or three to five radio stations in every major market. They own Christian radio. They own conservative talk. They syndicate conservative talkers. I am not a conservative talk show host. I'm not a Republican I'm not a Democrat. There's some areas I, I trend very progressive, other areas conservative. I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle there. You guys can argue about that. But I'm not a far-right conservative. I was probably one of the only non-conservative radio hosts on a Salem station in the U.S. For five years, I worked really hard in the Seattle market to honor my employees and to produce a good show. I'm, I met every major mark they wanted. I raised like a half a million dollars for nonprofits or for or like food for the poor and for the Bible League and for other worthy organizations. But working there was one of the most difficult things in my life because Salem Communications is a publicly traded company and their goal is to make as much money as possible. And because they're a conservative talk uh, radio entity as well, their goal was to continually push me to be a conservative talk show host. And that's not who I am. My goal was to bring people from all sides of the spectrum together. And they continually tried to get me to push conservative talk show point agendas. And they continually called me difficult because I wouldn't do that. It came to the point where I finally had to say, I can't do this anymore. And I literally had to say, the Bible talks about that if people won't receive you, you have to let your peace return to you. And I had to brush the dust off my feet. There was, it was literally a toxic work environment. People who listen to the show can't even, when I tell them this, they, they can't even believe it. They're like, really? Are you serious? Seriously, inside the, the show, inside that environment, there was, it was like zero positive feedback. It was just the craziest environment. There was zero room to grow and, and to, 
to have the show expand. There was zero ability to syndicate because every talk show host was a syndicated far-right conservative talk show host. In fact, the person in charge of all talk shows in Salem Communication at one time was the person who was in charge of Sean Hannity's talk show. That's the kind of spirit there. And I remember coming to this place where I had to die to all that and just let it go, that strength. Because when I had a talk show, I had some power. People treated me differently. My denomination treated me differently. You know, my church has about 100 people on a good day. But when I had a talk show, people treated me better. They gave me different positions. They let me speak at things. I was suddenly someone important because I had power. That made me angry. Because I wasn't any different. I wasn't any better. My thoughts were the same. It was just some radio show hired me. But when I gave up that talk show, I went back to just being the pastor of a church. And there's very little power in being the pastor of a normal-sized church of 100. I had people who would follow me on Twitter and interact with me because they wanted to be on the show. Well, guess what? Once I stopped being a radio host, those people stopped following me. Those people stopped interacting with me. There's no power there anymore. They stopped leveraging those relationships. I became just this weak pastor who talks a bit. I wrote a book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. No publishers were excited to get that as I pastor a church of 100. If I pastor a church of 10,000, probably get a publisher. If I had a radio outlet, probably be different. So I didn't even really go for the route. I just self-published it. Don't have any big places to go for that. Started a podcast that I upload on my own. Send it out to the world. I don't have any power now. I don't have any big say. I'm just someone trying to be faithful. And I bring this up because I want the testimony of my life to be this. I'm not waiting for power to be obedient to what God has called me to do. And I don't think you should as well. I didn't wait till we were a large church to start doing a media ministry. And as the result of that, I was able to actually minister to thousands of people. That doesn't make me more important or less important. It just means I just moved ahead in faith and God opened doors. And then the doors closed. And whether I was able to minister to 10 people or 10,000 people, it doesn't really matter. What I was able to do was live by faith. And the example of faith is the best example I can give. And that's the best example you can give. The kingdom of God is not supposed to advance through human power and human strength and human cunning. It's supposed to advance through what? Through the presence of Jesus, the resurrected presence of Jesus in our midst. Where we're weak, God is strong. I'm not supposed to be a pastor. I'm dyslexic. I'm anxious, I'm fearful, I don't really even like people. I mean, I sort of do, but I sort of want to run away from them all the time. That's what I talk about in this book half the time. I don't, I, I don't, I, I, but I'm called. And I'm called to 
to preach and I'm called to lead Evergreen Church and I'm called to still contend for media and I still want doors to open and I I still would like to speak to many people and I still would like to have these positions of power and I still would like my denomination to notice me and I still would like, but you know what? Even if those things don't happen, I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to live for a power dynamic. I'm not going to do things based on my strength or the strength of others. I'm just going to be spirit-led. I'm just going to do what God has put on my heart. And so can you. Let's close with this scripture and see if God is speaking to you. Paul says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you are going through weaknesses right now, through insults, through hardships, through persecutions, through calamities, you can certainly pray that God would remove those things. You can certainly pray that there would be a strength that would rise up that would remove those things. But here's the thing. Even if the calamities continue, even if the weakness continues, even if the insults continue, even if the hardships continue, even if the persecutions continue, you must continue to advance the kingdom of God because his strength will be great through your weakness. All right? All right, make room for the Lord. He knows you by name and he loves you dearly. I'd love it if you'd pick up my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. You can get it at Amazon. Uh, That's The Community of God. There's a Kindle version. There's also an Audible version. Uh, If you're listening to this show in February, on February 11th, it goes on sale, the Kindle version, for something like $3.99 for a couple days. So uh, pick that up. Anyway, make room for the Lord who knows you by name. You can pick up this theme music and other songs by my brother Dan Bursch on iTunes. I will see you next time. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. But you've spoken by your word. Your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my only one. 
my dreams with you. 